Thank you all for tuning in to episode three of the AFT Construction Podcast. We're super excited to present our guest, architect, and friend, Mr. Mark Candelaria. He has 40 years experience in luxury homes, renovations, restaurants, and resorts. He formed Candelaria Design Associates in 1999 and was named Master of the Southwest in 2005 by Phoenix Home and Garden Magazine. Stay tuned as we discuss business, ownership, and of course, architecture. Well, welcome to the AFT Construction Podcast. I am Brad Levitt, and I'm excited to bring on Mr. Mark Candelaria. Hey, thank you. This is kind of fun to be on the other side of the microphone here. So. It is. Mark's a, a big podcaster, and this is the first time he's been a guest, right? My, I'm the first time I'm a guest. <laughs> and fortunately, you know, just a, a couple months ago, I was fortunate to be a guest yeah. on yours. You did a great job, by the way. I thought your podcast was definitely one of the best I've done. Well, you made it easy. Great host. So, Well, it's great to have a great guest. So. Yeah, well, great to have you on. So for mo- most of you that uh, follow us know Mark Candelaria, uh, very well known throughout the industry, nationally as well as locally, one of the top architecture firms in town. So we're really excited to have him on today. Yeah, it's awesome. So Mark, as we dive into this, my first question for you is, what is the one thing you wish you'd have known when starting your firm? Well, you know, you, you were just asking me that question I was thinking about a little bit. And I'm trying to go back and, and think back to what it was like when I first started. And, and <clears throat> I might digress a little bit here, but when I, I left a bigger firm, I left a firm that was about 40 people that I'd, I had started with and became a partner with. And they started getting into a lot more commercial work and just different things. And, you know, I part on great terms. The founder of the firm, George Christensen, who was my mentor for many years, he had retired and left. And, you know, I just felt, you know, I just want to, chill, maybe start a little office at my house and work out of the house, hang out with the dogs, you know, maybe work for a few hours and go by the pool or go hike. And, you know, that was my goal. It was just to kind of kick back. I was 40 years old and I had been working really hard for the 20 before that to get to where I was. And I just thought, you know, in my 40s, I'm going to relax and do a couple houses a year. And that was going to be my gig. Well, within... I think six months, I probably had 10 projects. And I'm like, okay, this isn't going to work. I used to work in my dining room, on my dining room table, which is still my table in my office today. I've, I've brought that table with me everywhere I've gone because all of my drawings, in essence, have kind of created from that table. So maybe that's the good luck that I've had is that table. <coughs> Excuse me. But, you know, I kind of learned from that that, you know, I remember when I started, I had a lot of fear. I was like, gosh, can I make it? Will I do this? Was it, you know, what if I don't have any work? How am I going to pay the bills? So I think you always have fear. And I guess that's the thing that I've learned is there's always fear. I mean, I still have fear. I, there's still things I'm afraid of. But I've learned how to – I heard a good podcast the, the other day about I've learned to run to fear. You know, don't avoid fear. The pot of gold is right on the other side of that fear. So when I find the fear, I go, okay, what am I really afraid of here? What can I do to alleviate that? What can I do to learn from it and get through and break through it? Well, I think there's there's two things you bring up. So one, you talk about fear. So what? Yeah. You know, that seems to be the question by everyone who wants to start a company. You know, there, there's this fear about jumping on your own. Will I have enough work? Can I sustain right. myself or my yeah. family or whatever the situation? So is that in, natural to you, you know, the entrepreneur mentality? I mean, how did you overcome that fear and say, you know what, I'm ready to start my own? You know, for me... I think, and it's still the same, same, same thing. I got myself really busy, so I didn't have time to think about it. I didn't have time to. I didn't have time to waste thinking about fear. I was focused on what I needed to get done, and I still do that today. You know, there's. I have probably more to be afraid of today than I did 20 years ago when I started the company. I mean, I've got 25 employees now. So there's a lot, livelihoods. A lot more about. responsibility, you yeah. know. But 
I don't, I don't focus on that every day. I don't, in fact, I hardly focus on it at all. I mean, I, it's obviously something I care about and I deal with, but I'm focused on what I need to get done today, to now. Today is all that matters. And, you know, if I don't take care of today, tomorrow, tomorrow doesn't care, doesn't matter, you know? Absolutely. And, and when you talk about fear, you talked about, you know, this mentality when I'm going to go on my own, there's going to be this luxury lifestyle, take on a couple jobs. Right. And, you know, I'm sure you found out running your own business. That's not the case, right? I right. mean, there's a lot of hours. And so how, oh, yeah. yeah. How did you find managing your day? Because you, you have this mentality, it's going to be super easy and I'm going to live this luxury lifestyle, but that's <laughs> not the case, right? No, I mean, I work all the time. I do, I still do today. But what I've, what I'm learning as I get older is it is important to take some time for yourself to kind of reset, uh, to refocus, and get off the hamster wheel a little bit, it really helps to do that and take care of yourself. You know, I think so many people get caught up on, on doing this and doing that and taking care of this problem and taking care of this person. And you got to take care of yourself first. If you don't take care of yourself first, there's no way you can take care of anybody else, you know? So I try to make a pur purpose, and I find that early in the morning is the best time because there's no distractions. You know, I like to just do a quick workout, either go to the gym or I got this great little calisthenic app that I found. and It's great because I can just do it in my kitchen or wherever I happen to be and get a nice 20-minute really t intense workout. And then I go and meditate for a while. And I'll take 15, 20 minutes and I'll sit by the pool or I'll sit in the jacuzzi or whatever. And I just go through and I visualize my whole day. And I try to go, okay, I have to do this. How can I do this the best? You know, And I, then I try to picture it in my mind and go through the whole calendar of that day and just figure out how do I make this the best day possible? Well, I think that's interesting because, I mean, you're big on lifestyle, Mark. I mean, anyone yeah. that follows you understands that. Just, you know, you are optimized the same amount of time. We yeah, all have, we all right? have the same amount of time. We have the same amount of time, but, but yeah, you optimize that. And, you know, you make priorities because I think, you know, that's the most difficult thing as a business owner is right. the question we get, how, well, how do you balance that? How do you have that time? Sure. And you're making that time. It's it's similar. I, there was a book I read, uh, Profit First, Sean Van Dyke, yeah. construction, and kind of a similar mentality. Whereas as you're running a company, you know you need to pay yourself and, and make sure that you're running efficiently. And, and in the same way, individually, you're doing the same sure. thing. It's you're paying yourself with time. Checking time out is the, the best gift. It is. It's the best. It's the best gift you give to someone else, and it's the best time you can give to yourself. And I think a lot of people deprive themselves of some time. Well, I think what's really smart, too, is, you know, you spend a lot of time on social media, as do I, but yeah. yet you're finding time to disengage, right? You're oh, shutting yeah. it off. You're you're meditating. You're working out, you know, cooking. Yeah, cooking's you know. a great way to get away from all of it for me, to be honest with you. Well, you're a great cook. I mean, it, it shows. Yeah, I, we cooked last night for 20 people. One of amazing. our projects, we uh, celebrated by, um, I made ribs and baked beans and all kinds of good stuff for a house up in Desert Mountain and shipped it all up. And my, my car smelled so good. Luckily, some of it <laughs> spilled, so it still smells good today. It's like, man, I got to do a food truck out of this thing. So how does that happen? I mean, how do you get, uh, you know, into the cooking field? You know, as busy as you are, how did you make time for that? A lot of it, I, my mom was a great cook and my dad's a good cook. And I used to cook, you know, a little bit in college for my buddies and stuff and that. But I think my interest really came when um, the Food Network kind of, kind of grew on television and I would just sit and either, you know, I'd sit and work and draw for hours and hours and I'd either watch football or a game or I'd watch the Food Network. And I just said, well, that looks pretty easy. I should try that. And I would do it and God, this is so good. And then it just grew from there and I just love to cook. So let's, you know, you watch the Food Network so you're seeing these videos. <laughs> so how, you know, how could that relate to architecture? I mean, you have this amazing brand. You've built yourself nationally. How did you get to build that national reputation? You know, um, 
it, I think it just happened by by the love of what I do. To be honest with you, it wasn't was it wasn't something that I set out to accomplish. I think it's just something that has happened as a you know a flow out of of what I love to do. You know, and <clears throat> the cooking thing really kind of grew from our trips in Italy. Uh, we started doing our tours to Italy. And that grew just metamorphically also. But what we learned on those trips is in the middle of the trip, we would do a cooking class. And it was about a four-hour cooking class followed by a two-and-a-half-hour dinner. And it was the one moment where everybody on the trip like, just basically bonded you know, and coalesced into this family. And these people have stayed friends, I think better friends with each other than they probably do with some of their own family. And so I learned that it's a, it's a great way to just bring people together. And so, for instance, uh, Friday night we're going to be do, doing a um, dinner for another project where we're going to have the whole team. We're just about ready to break ground. And what I love about it is, you know, when you're in the meetings, you're the architect. You're the builder. You're the rep. You're the structural engineer. You're not a person. You're just a title. And when we do the cooking thing, it kind of level it levels everybody. And everyone all of a sudden looks at each other, this guy's a person. You know, he's not an architect. He's fun, you know, and I'm having fun here, and this is a good time. And they eat a great meal. So all these little senses are stimulated in a different way that doesn't happen in a meeting. And I think that's what bonds everybody. They all share that that moment. You know well, what I'm saying? There's something about, you know, serving side by side, working arm in hand, right? There's these yeah. friendships that are built. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure in your case, you know, in your profession or on these trips you've been on that yeah. as you're you're working with someone side by side and get to know them a little more personally, you sure. know, builds that, builds that bond. Builds a bond. And, you know, once you have that bond, it's a lot easier to get into who they are and what motivates them and what excites them. And, and that's what I want to get. So when I design the house, it's like, here it is. Here's that view or here's that spot or here's that place where you meditate or where you cook or where you watch football. And they go, oh, my God, this is – I never want to leave this spot. That's how last night was. I mean, last night was a classic example of that. So you're alluding to, you know, I hear a term, building relationships of trust, right, BRT. Sure. And so you're doing that. You're kind of, you know, as you're networking with someone and you're, that passion showing, you're understanding their lifestyle. Right. Right, things that are important to them. And now you can apply that because you've worked with them side by side and sure. you understand how they how they work. And and I'll give you kudos to one thing, Mark, uh, just as a – Something I noticed. So, as you recall, there was a client that was looking at a home, and he had interviewed yep. several architects. This was about a year ago, and the feedback that he gave to us, unbeknownst to you, is he said, yep. "You know, the reason we're choosing Mark is because his passion. Like yeah. they, they just felt that there was this excitement that you brought in the meeting of uh, what they wanted, their design, and they they felt like you understood them. Sure. And I think that's the one thing most people don't realize is bringing that passion to work, Right. how that can solidify yeah. future projects. Well, I think passion in anything <laughs> helps helps you succeed. Uh, you know, I was talking to one of my guests on one of my podcasts the other day, and, you know, the one thing that I think makes the biggest difference is your attitude. You know, you can teach people skills. You can teach them word processing. You can teach them construction. You can teach them architecture. But I'll tell you what, if you get two people side by side that have the same skill set, but one has a great attitude and one doesn't, the difference is monumental. I mean, it's just you can't, you can't recognize that difference. I mean, it's just, it's just huge. So it's all between your head, you know, what you envision and what you believe and how you put that passion to work is what makes the difference. So are there any secrets? Because I, I would agree. I think most successful companies, business owners, yeah. uh, you know, are those that have a, a positive outlook. Sure. Are excited. Uh, you so know, what's the alternative? Positive. 
It is. It, but <laughs> how do you do that? I mean, all of us are dealing with this. You're dealing with an architecture. It's a customer service industry. Right. And not every client is ideal and customer and in their defense. Maybe we're not doing certain things or communicating right. Right. So how do you keep that positivity despite some of the all chaos of that happens all the time? There's always chaos and there's always problems, you know. And I've just learned that being positive is it helps you find the solutions quicker. I think if you're negative and you're dwelling on what's wrong with things and, oh, poor me and this, you're not putting the energy towards the solution. And so what I try to tell people is like, hey, we got the problem. Let's come on. We're all smart people. We're all, and I love to get the whole team, you know, the builder, the subs. let's, Let's all figure this out, guys. We can do it. And some of our best solutions have come from what were initially problems. You know, and people go, where did you come up with that? And I said, well, let me tell you the story. You know, it's like, no one would have ever created something like that. So it's like, how, it's again, how do, how do you want to think about it? Well, I think you're, you're alluding to that. I think all of us can relate that some of our most successful projects that yeah. we've had are typically projects that maybe had certain challenges that we had to sure. overcome. And they can be catapulted down to a positive end result. Right. And so, you know, along that, we, we were discussing, you know, how could a negative experience on a project or unforeseen challenges, how has that helped you with your business? Uh, you know, I've done the most. I think it's always cliche. You learn the most from your failures and your mistakes. And and so I guess when they do come, I really try to sit back for a second and go, okay, what what's the lesson I can learn here? What can I do different next time? What's a new system we could put in place to avoid this? And all of a sudden, there's so many great opportunities that you can take from something like that that makes you, in the end, better. You know, it's like, I would have never learned how to set up this process or system had that failure or mistake happened. But now my client's like, wow, that's really great that you guys think that far ahead. You know, it's like, well, yeah, well, let me tell you. Learn the hard way. (laughs) Learn the hard way, yeah. But, you know, don't look at it as a failure. I mean, look at it as an opportunity to grow. You know, and and it's that way for life. I was thinking on the way over here today, you know, I think it's so ironic about what we do in that we take a dream, we put it onto paper, every detail is written out so that you can build it, okay? Well, why don't we do that with our lives? You know, it's like, it's the same thing. You know, sit down, put a plan, put the details and, and get, a, get, a, get a permit and get under construction. I know? love that. That's good mentality. Right? But a lot of people will sit and they'll sit and they'll dream. You know, we have clients that do this with their houses, unfortunately, too, where they'll sit and dream and dream and dream and dream and never pull the trigger. You know, it's like, I could have built your house. You could have already been living in your house. Right. And it, it wouldn't be any worse or better than what it was three years ago with you making changes. And people do the same thing with their lives, I notice. So, so you're alluding to be decisive, right? Be decisive in, in decisions, understand the direction, you know, make goals and plans and, and live to that. Uh, so well, and go for it. Just, you know, put your plan together, but then go for it. Then you can steer the equipment. You can steer this, and you can fine-tune this as you go because guess what? You're going to learn. You're going to see things and learn things that you would have never encountered just doing the plan. Absolutely. So going back to the earlier conversation we're having about starting your own firm, right. I mean, you, you have a plan. We've seen you execute that. So how, how did you build that pipeline? I mean, that, that's the one concern most people have starting their business is sales. Right. So how did you quickly get so busy and, and start building that portfolio? You know, I think for me, what I remember doing, and I've always done it, and I still got contacts from back when I was in the CCBG days, is I just made a point 
of every day getting out and meeting a couple new people. You know, and I think a lot of businesses get so trapped in dealing with the day-to-day stuff. We got to get this job done, blah, 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 blah. And then they get all the work done. And you and I kind of talked about this in our podcast together. You know, all of a sudden they're done with everything and they don't have any work. It's like, okay, now we got to go out and find some work. I was like, no, you should have been doing that all along so that your pipe, pipeline is always filled. And so I just always made it a point to take someone to lunch, have someone over for dinner, go grab a drink, you know, just every day meet somebody or connect some dots. And it works. And I'll say you're really good at that. I mean, you and I, you had reached out and said, hey, Brad, let's go do lunch. And, yeah. you know, and, and we did. We met at the Henry, had yeah, lunch, and, and just talked about business and social media and other things. And well, what we've I actually done is, that twice now. What I find, and this works both ways, is, you know, when people reach out to me and say, hey, can we grab lunch, blah, 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 I, you know, I need some work, blah, you know, this and that. And I said, yeah, let's do it. Ironically, it seems like within a week, something will come up. And because we had that lunch, because we had that encounter, that person's in the forefront of my mind. And I go, hey, yeah, I've got a great builder here that, you know, I just had lunch with the other day. Why don't we talk to him? So I think it just, it's like a billboard, you know. If you don't put any billboards up, no one's going to know you're around. Yeah, and it's funny how that's evolved into social media because I think any way to do business, you know, prior social media was, right. you know, the face-to-face and right. networking. and It's a combination now. It is, but but now it's still the same thing. You can't be on social media without being social, right? No, I think you got to be social too. Yeah, and to your point, you got to be you got to be 3D. Yeah, 3D. There you go. <laughs> See in person. Yeah. Well, it's funny cuz I you know there's a mentor of mine and one of his goals he said, "Look, even on social media, I'll reach out to two people." Yeah. You know, um every other day. Sure. And it could be, you know, just introductions and messages and nothing that they're selling, just, "Hey, like what you're doing. I'd right. love to meet you." Right. And you know, as they say they start building those relationships whether it be with architects or designers or clientele. I mean, sure. it's just like you're talking about. You're getting out there, you're meeting them face to face, building that relationship. You know, another thing I've started that just kind of happened accidentally is once a week I'll kind of just pay attention to my mind over the course of the week and who's popped into my mind and sometimes it's people from 10, 15 years ago I wonder what happened to him and I'll reach out, you know, once a week I try to pick someone that I'm either grateful for or someone I just want to say thank you to and I'll publicly say it and say this is why you know, this person did this for me, this for me, they're amazing people and, you know, within 30 seconds, they'll reach out and go, dude, that was the nicest thing I've ever, you know, I've ever, anyone's done to me in a long time. And I said, oh, you just kept popping in my mind all week. And then it's like, man, I'm so glad you're in my life. And I really appreciate all the things you did for me. I think that's great advice because we all have those thoughts that come to mind and we don't act on them. We don't act on them. Right. And I always think there's a reason why those things come in your yeah. mind. It's and not by accident. There's like an energy. It's an energy. Yeah. And there's a reason, you know, as there's that positivity it's and energy. It's a manifestation. It is. And as you're doing it and acting on it, yeah. you know, it, there's opportunities to present yep. themselves. All of a sudden, they say, well, that's funny. I was just thinking about you too. I've had that happen. It's yep. Like, in fact, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then there it goes. I thought, that's why, that's why you were popping in <laughs> your my Your ears head. are ringing. Yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, Mark, as we get into this, you know, what, you know, you've, taking this passion, you have, uh, you know, this great personality, you've built your business. So how does that influence your designs? What do, what do you credit to this creativity from, you know, a, a traditional to modern to Tuscan? Right. You know, you have a, a versatile... Probably, a, probably ADD. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do. I, I, to be really honest, I do get, I get bored really quick and I, I love everything. I love all styles and I, you know, I love to just get into the detail, learn about it and understand why my client is interested in it and then give them the best of what it is that they want, you know? And so we don't have, I don't tell people we have a style. We don't do contemporary. We don't, you know, we don't just do contemporary. We don't just do uh, traditional. We do everything. And it's, 
people always tell me my, our projects have a feel and a look, and I can't describe what that is, and they can't either. But they say, I've, you know, I went through five different houses down the street, and I like this one, this one, this one. They're all different, but I like the feel of them. And they were all your houses. So I, I don't know what that is, and I, but I think, I think I know what it is. I think it's the, the soul and the passion that me and my team and the people I work with put into those houses. So do you find that from just, I, I know you mentioned ADD, but is that from continuing education? Is that studying? Is that your travels? Travels, I mean, travels and reading. I love to read and I love to look at books and just pictures and absorb things. And we well, have this amazing, amazing library at your house. Yeah. I know. So yeah, I could, I could do books forever. So, you know, now I love podcasts. They're not visual, but I love what I get out of them mentally, you know, a lot of information, a lot of motivation. Information, right. So, but travel is, Travel to me is the best filler uh, for a lot of purposes. I mean, what I like about it is, you know, you go to work every day, you drive down the same road, you see the same trees, you see the same signs, you see the same cars, you get to the office, it's, you see the same desk in the same place. It's basically, you're just kind of going through life like, uh, you know, <laughs> like you're subconscious. And what I love about traveling is you're not seeing the same thing. You're seeing a totally different setting. You're smelling different things. You're tasting different things. You're hearing different things. Cultures, lifestyles, Everything's food. different, you know? And so I think what I love is how it just awakens you out of that normal, you know, zombie-ish way of going through life that 90% of us are doing every day. Yeah, and you get to see how other people live outside of our country, right, and what, right. what they're experiencing, their food, especially if you can get out of maybe yep. touristy areas, right, sure. and get back in. Yeah, absolutely. So I, you know, and, and not everybody can tr afford to travel. And you know, I I do a good job of traveling. But I think even when you're in your day to day life, take a different route. You know, go a different direction. Go stop somewhere and have a cup of coffee at a place you've never had coffee before. You never know who you might run into and what might happen. And you know, if you do the same thing over and over, it's like Groundhog Day. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a that movie is one of my favorite movies because how many people are doing that? Literally, you know. I love that movie. Oh, it's a great movie. So I tell people, mix it up every day. And that's what I love about architecture is I never have two days that are the same, ever, you know. And I love that. I love the fact that I never know, no matter how well I visualize and plan my day, there's always these great little hidden surprises, you know. Yeah, and we talked about how, well, how do you create a national reputation and, you know, what you've done. And, and part of that is, you know, you're setting the bar. You're becoming a trendsetter. We talk about... You've alluded to your lifestyle tours. Right. So that's something I had never heard of anyone doing that except for you. So what? how did that even start to well, come up with that concept? It, it was something that, did, did, that wasn't a conscious effort. I had a client that came in and says, I want to do a house in Tuscany. And I said, you know, you know and this was like within a year or two of me starting my firm. And the Tuscan style had just kind of started and it was kind of a, becoming a big thing. And I kind of joked and said, well, let's go to Tuscany, you know. And he looked at me and he goes, where is that, in California somewhere? And I said, no, come on, it's in Italy. <laughs> he goes, have you ever been? I said, I've, n I've never been. And I said, but I'm working with a, with a travel agent who, um, you know, maybe we, I can talk to her and she can tee us up. And sure enough, I mentioned to her, she says, yeah, we'll, we'll even go with you. And so I said, oh, that's awesome. So we went, had the best, best time. That particular two couples did not get along. So I learned a lot right there. I mean, they were like, Oil and water. I mean, oh my God, it was so much drama. It was it was hilarious. So the client who wanted to do the Tuscan house, he finally hijacked us, took us to Florence, put us up in the I don't know the penthouse of one of the hotels on the Arnold River for two days, and we stayed there, flew home, and that was the first trip. So how, let's talk about that. How do you vet 
clients or that because sometimes you'll go 15 20 people so yeah, how are had, you putting together that team we had 22 people on our spain tour this year and i had nine on my italy tour this year and anyone's welcome i mean i don't it's not just clients we've had people from as, as far away as australia on our trip that saw it on social media and said we want to come and they flew you know from australia to italy and we flew from phoenix to italy and we all wow. rendezvoused and all great friends and still good friends of these day, to this day. So uh, what I try to do is put it out there. I see who shows an interest, and I'll be real transparent. What I do is I kind of get to know each person. Most, most times I know who they are, but some people like social media, I don't know who they are. And we have a pre-trip dinner several months before the trip. Smart. So we get everyone together, and I just really watch the, the interaction. interaction. Yeah, I almost kind of like take that, that episode or that event and – you know, kind of transported into what that's going to be like in our cooking class in Italy. And I just watch how they interact. And I've had, I've had several occasions where I've had to tell people, you know, I, I just don't think this is the trip for you. And many times they'll come to me first and they'll go, no, I don't, I don't think this is the right vibe for me. I said, no, no, no problem. It's so important to get the right people in those trips. And when you do, it is magic. I mean, it is just one of the best. This, our Italy trip this year was, you know, partially because it was a small group. But man, we had we had so much fun. We had age twenty to age sixty, or even older, sixty-five, and it was like we were family. It, and it didn't someone get uh, engaged well, on the say, trip? It didn't hurt that someone <laughs> proposed on the second day of the trip. Right. And after that, we were kind of all family. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. So how you know as we're leading into this, how have those tour- tours helped build your network and clientele? You know, I think it's it's just separated us from the normal. In some ways, I mean, I think people go, oh, yeah, he does these tours. It gives some, it gives people something to talk about. He's an architect, yeah, but he takes people to Italy and blah blah blah. Well, if he goes to Italy, he must know that style pretty well. And yeah, he does Spain now too. And so I think those things all helped, and I know they did over the course of and it's been 20 years that we've been doing it now. And um, you know, I've had almost 250 people now on the tour, and so it's built, it's almost built a little subculture of people. And it's kind of interesting how that's all worked over time. And my goal is to really allow my my new team of partners to kind of take over that as I get older. And so I think we're going to divvy up each tour to one of my partners and a couple of the associates and let them carry the baton and they'll wheel me around in my wheelchair or whatever I'm happen to be tooling around. And I love that. When I'm 80 with my big bottle of vino in my hand, you know. Well, what's interesting, you talk about the subculture and, and earlier in this podcast, we talked about, you know, building that relationship of trust, right? With people right. and clients as you sit down. And, and what I found too is, um, and I haven't been on the lifestyle tour, but I have been on many tours either with my own company, sure. whether we're going to like the building show yeah. or I've been on vendor trips yep. where with some of your staff, I was just in yeah. Chicago with them. And it's amazing how a two or three day trip, how you build these deep relationships, right? Oh, there's yeah. a friendship there that now when I see, you know, uh, Evelyn and Rebecca from your office, right? There's a friendship. And it's like, hey, you know, because you're, you're there laughing and eating. Yeah, it and, makes a big difference. Yeah. And so there's these relationships that are built. And I think that's important for any company that as you're getting out there and meeting new people and, right. you know, spending that time, you get to know them a little bit more on a personal right. level. And that's why we've done, you know, we can't take every client and every person that we meet on the Italy tour. So that's why we've done the, the cooking at home or cooking in their home. And it virtually does the same thing just in a real condensed short amount of time, but it has the same effectiveness. Yeah, for three to four hours, maybe on a Sunday at your house and in lieu of going across the pond, right? Yeah, and a lot of times we'll just do random uh, meals where we'll we'll cook for maybe 15 people, and we'll just kind of look through our contacts and go, you know, let's let's get them, 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 them together. And those have been some of the funnest meals, and the connections that have come out of those have been fantastic. That's amazing. 
So, so talk to me about this because one thing that uh, is really attractive about your firm that I love is you know you have probably the most female executives. Yeah, I've got all th- all th- three all my, all of my partners are female. I have three, right, three partners that are women. So how you know and that was not a conscious effort. It just they happened to be the right people at the right time in the right place. Yeah, I was going to ask on that. So you say right time, right place. I mean, how did those relationships evolve? How did, uh, what were some of their backgrounds that came in? How did that relationship start? So Vivian, I'll start with her. She started working with me um, virtually right after I started the firm. And a real quick story, uh, she came in and interviewed and she was from Puerto Rico, you know. So she's sitting there talking to me and, and showing me her portfolio and her work was fantastic, but I could not understand her. You know, I'm like, Okay, this is this probably isn't going to work out because I'm just going to be able to communicate with my clients. I can't hear her or understand her, and so I, you know, I looked her in the eye, shook her hand, said, "Vivian, thank you so much. You, you did such a great job. It was really nice meeting you." And off I went. And I happened to go on a trip. Came back two weeks later, and Vivian's sitting there working away in the office. And I'm like, "What the heck is she doing here?" <laughs> and they go, "Well, you hired her." I said, "I didn't hire her." I said, what do you mean I hired her? She showed up the very next day and started working. So we figured you hired her. I said, no. I couldn't even understand her. And so they're like, I said, well, how's she doing? She goes, she's amazing. She works so hard and she's just cranking. She's getting everything done. This is great having her. I said, well, hell, let's keep her. <laughs> so over time, she learned English better and better. And just, she's a workhorse. She's one of the hardest working people I've ever been around. She's worked with me almost 20 years now. And so I couldn't, I could not make her my partner. I know? I know that our listeners can't see us, but I've been laughing the whole time. I think this is the greatest story I've ever heard <laughs> about her an employee. It's true. And then <laughs> Evelyn, who runs our whole company, she's not an architect. She's just basically our CFO. Uh-huh. I hired her. She came in as a temp. She was, t- I don't know, 22 years old maybe. And our front desk person got sick, so we called the temp agency. Hey, we need someone for a few days. Can you send someone over? They sent over Evelyn. She's, you know, this little young 22-year-old gal. And I'm like, okay, well, that's, at least we got someone at the front desk. That's good. And Evan r- worked for two or three days. And we're like, we're all just like, this gal's better than the gal we've got. Let's, let's make a switch here. So we kept Evelyn. And she took over the front desk. Then she took over the accounting. She took over the whole damn thing, you know. And so you, you don't realize how valuable that person is in your company that you that allows you not to have to worry about the books and I have to I mean I I check in on all my stuff kind of on a macro level and we ha- we get together we have systems for everything but to have the the freedom to just be an architect and let her deal with payables or questions clients have on their bills they go to Evelyn you know and Evelyn takes care of it she does a great job of it yeah you need someone that's that right arm right you know that's thinking the same thing but is is running that company sure. right and, and I think any successful company has that because yep. that allows you to do what you're good at. And right. any good business owner needs to be able to delegate. you got to be able to delegate. You can't do it all. You can't. No. And you need to focus on the creativity and the sure. business and business development and some of the other things that go into running a business. Yeah. And I think that's a key to success with a business is I think so many small business owners stay as the operator and not the owner. You know, they, they do everything. They have to do everything because they can't trust anybody. And... You can't grow your business if, if that's your mindset. It's impossible to grow your business if yeah. that's your mindset. Yeah, and you'll hear people say, and maybe some of us have, have thought this, where, hey, if I want to do it right, I'll do it myself. But, right. but the issue with that, to your point, is you can't grow and you can't nope. expand as a company unless you have key people that are running the day-to-day right. and, and figuring out those issues so that you can focus on the overall 
you know, sure. processes and, and business development. And to your point, you can't just work on a project and then, oh, we don't have work. You got to be hitting the streets and building no, those relationships. Exactly right. So then the third partner, real quick, because I want to forget her. No, she no, I won't. Yeah. Is uh, <laughs> Meredith, who yeah. I absolutely love. She came to me about, I don't know, seven, eight years ago during the recession, during the tail end of the recession. But we were still all, you know, blindsided and shell shocked from what we all went through. And uh, <clears throat> she, she grew up in Arcadia, went to Notre Dame in Indiana, worked in New York, worked in San Francisco, and wanted to come home. So she brought, she came in, she reached out to me. I wasn't hiring anyone. We weren't hiring anybody. I mean, <laughs> that was the last thing that was on our mind was hiring anybody. And she brought her portfolio, sat down with me. I just, you know, saw her style, her, her people skills, and then her work was just phenomenal. Beautiful drawings, hand-drawn renderings, watercolors. I'm like, okay, I cannot let my competition have this person, okay? So I told her, like, you start. And my staff was like, what are you doing? I said, she's just a consultant now. Let's just use her as a consultant. But once they saw her work, they all agreed, hire her. We're, we got to get Meredith on the team. So it was a good way to kind of segue that. And it kind of that was kind of the point where the, we started growing again, was once we got Meredith back on board. And she's licensed. And so it was just great having someone you know, like that on the team. And then the three women just kind of all work together. They kind of balance each other. And it's kind of, it's fun to watch them grow and it's fun to mentor them into what I hope is, you know, a great team. I love that. And so you've alluded to this with all three of them. So, you know, the cream of the crop, if you will, there's a work ethic yeah. involved from all three of them, oh, right? Yeah. A desire to be great and yep. perform. And you kind of see that as you're hiring. And so I think any employees that are listening, you know, business owners will see, that performance, they see not just the hours you're putting in, sure. but the quality of quality of the work, that work. And the quality of the person. Yeah, yeah. Communication skills, their their drive, their ambition, their their value yep. to the company, and as teamwork. You, yeah, and as integrity. They, yeah, and they bring that value yep. to you as the business owner. And sure. Now it's you move them right up to fellow business owners. Yeah, I mean they have whole meetings. I'm not even there, and people, yeah, I've been in many of them with them, and yeah, they've they're and great. They, they they're great. They they embody the same spirit and passion. They do. I mean, I've been in meetings now with all three of them, and they all understand the mantra of of Candelaria Design, yeah. right? And they speak that language and that passion. I mean, it flows through them. And so, sure. what is, is there a secret to that as a business owner? Because oftentimes I'm asked, well, how do you find good people? Right. Right. How have you found any? Secret success to that? Yeah, I think what has been working, <clears throat> what has been a big transition in the last five years is, you know, as I'm getting older, I see this with a lot of businesses, is they don't have an exit strategy, you know? And so what I like to do is I don't want to own 100% of the company when I'm 70, you know? <laughs> I really don't. There's a lot of other things I'd like to do. I want to paint. I want to keep cooking. I, there's a lot. Of, I'm writing a book right now. So there's a lot of other interests that I've, basically have put off for the last 40 years. And so what we've done is we've really set up a, a very interesting buy-sell strategy that allows them to buy uh, an interest in the company over time and talk about a great incentive. I mean, I think a lot of companies lose good people because they don't see any opportunity ahead for them. Yeah, and they, so they, they see them, a plateau. They, they say plateau. Well, yep. I'm going to be at this spot forever. Why don't I just go start my own company? I've learned everything here. I'm going to go do my own thing. And that's happened to me. It's happened to everyone I know out there that's had a company. They, they, you, cre you create your new competitor, in essence. And so what I found is I want to really create a system that's an incentive for people to stay. 
you know, and give them a part, give them part of the pot of gold that they're, they're helping to build, you know? So without getting into specifics, as far yep. as how your companies run to that extent, what advice would you give for a company that's wanting to share stock or employee owned, you know, what would you recommend? How do, do you base it off a uh, hundred shares and then yeah. there's a valuation to yeah. each share and then they're buying in? Yep. That's basically it. So what we did is we hired a company that does an annual, um, appraisal of the of value the of the company. Mm -hmm. So they appraise the company every, and you know, if they do it every year, they get faster and easier. They understand the company and, and we designated a certain amount of shares in our, in our case, it's uh, I think it's 10,000 shares. And we basically have a stock that's worth so much per share, you know, and some years it goes up. Luckily every year we've been, since we've been doing, it's gone up. So that's incredible. Uh, so, you know, every year there's a little more incentive. They own, their stock goes up. Their percentage goes up, and what we're doing is I had them all put a little of their own skin in the game to begin with, some, put some of their own money from bonuses and things like that. But now what we're doing is we're self-funding the, the buyout. So basically, they're getting a certain amount of shares in exchange for a promissory note to the company, to mm -hmm. me. Yep. And they generate the money to pay the promissory note, and because they own those shares or they have the profit, it all just equates out. And it works great. I mean, it's a great way for me to kind of get some money out of the company and I'm not working as much. I don't have to do 100% of the work. You know, they're doing, they're doing, it's, it's great having three other principals that are working as hard as you with the same passion and the same commitment, and we're, we're able to do even more. And is that know? something you're selective in your company? Is that open to everybody so or just certain people? The way we have it set up, the, the, the buy-sell agreement is written that it's long-term, and anyone eventually can buy in. It's up to the, par the current partners to decide who. Yes. So it's, me it's mechanized so there is opportunity for other people down the road. And my but goal, there has to be a vetting process because even not sure. to throw any of your employees on the bus, but you know, some ownership isn't for everyone. And, no. And, and maybe for them themselves because some people from a tax liability yeah. and you know, it, it changes your whole structure. Yeah. I no, I had a great former employee. Still, he's still, we call him emeritus in our company. Um, he was right at the beginning of the company too. One of the best architects I've ever worked with. And I offered him many times an opportunity to be a partner. He was, wasn't interested. He said, nope, I love my life the way it is. And, you know, but he was fine. I just made sure I took good care of him. And I still do. Yeah, so. and there has to be some understanding as a business owner because I would agree, I've, I've seen that in our firm. There's some people that just want to come to work. They yep. want to get that consistent paycheck. That's why they're here. They want to maybe yep. a year-end bonus. Sure. Um, whereas some other people want that, that future end goal. Right. And they're, and they're vested and they understand the complexity that goes in as a business owner and how that does change your personal tax. Totally. Right? You no, know, the bottom line, I think, though, is your people. I mean, your people is your most valuable asset in your company. And, you know, we do, I do a lot of things. We have, we have a guy that comes in and gives my staff a massage once a month. And, and we just do fun things, you know. And, yeah, so maybe you don't need a massage every month. But, but company think, bonding. But it but shows people that we care. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it sends a message that, oh, we care. We have a guy that comes in and makes crepes on a random Friday and just crepe day. You know, we have crepes for our staff meeting. And, you know, we do little uh, get-togethers and we're going to have our holiday party. So we just make sure that we're always doing something with the staff. Which is know? really smart because it's really easy to get in that, that mentality and that rut, if you will, of it's work. Just and work. It's just hard work, but you got to take a step back to sharpen the saw and just build right. those relationships with the team. Right. And that's another thing like we talked about yesterday was – you know, I think whenever there's a problem, everyone, we spend so much time every day focusing on the problems. Every day is, is we gotta solve this problem, we gotta solve this problem. And what I try to do is like once a month, let's celebrate one victory, you know, something that really went well. Let's just take the time to sit down and, as a company and go, 
you know, this is an amazing thing that just happened. One other thing that we do every, every Friday is we, we have a wow, okay? So our wow is basically in the course of meetings or this and that, if a client goes, wow, this is, this is amazing. This is so cool. We all, you'll see all of our staff look at each other because that means that whoever that, that wow was directed to, that person gets 100 bucks on Friday. And we've had as much as $1,100 got the door on a Friday for the wows that we got that That's week. incredible. And people go, well, that's a, that adds up to a lot of money. I said, yeah, but you know, I'll tell you what, it's worth it. Yeah. It's worth it. Well, I think that's very good perspective, I, even for me to hear as a business owner, because you think about um, our industry, whether it be architecture, construction, it seems that we're dealing with issues daily. Sure. Whether labor or pricing, yeah. uh, deadlines, permits, whatever it sure. is we're chasing, and there's not enough time that we're focusing on the successes, right? right? And the positivity. Because it motivates people. Yeah. You know, people go, that was fun. I, w- I want to get a wow. You know, yeah. I'm going to do something a little extra to get a wow. I would like to have a couple hundred bucks next week. Well, when you, you hit know? something super important, you talked about that employees are, are valuable assets. I know the questions asked from some companies, they look at as employees as a, a burden or as an expense. Yeah. Whereas the mentality, if you look at your employee as an asset, you're not worried about the compensation because right. you see the value to bring. It's an asset oh, to yeah. the company. Yeah. No, in fact, what I find is if I can develop my employees and, you know, make them better, I can, I can build them out at a higher rate, you know, <laughs> because they can do more. They're more competent. They're more skilled. Clients want their services. You know, it's like you want to do, constantly be developing your people. So I'm sending my teams to, like, Meredith this week is in, in Pennsylvania at, I the, so, yeah. at the Hope Window Factory Tour, and I'm going to Bromball in Italy in a couple of weeks. We sent, we've sent people to, we have another organization that we are a part of called MAPS, and don't ask me what it stands for, because I'll forget, <laughs> but basically we send one or two employees every year. It's basically a, a, a seminar or a, a three-day workshop that builds your goal-setting, training, your mindset, how you fit into the company. Uh, and these people come back from these trips just fired up, you know. And we send everybody. Every year we send someone from, the, from our team. So virtually now I'd say three-quarters of our staff has been through this program. And it's like your builder's council thing. It's yeah. kind of the same effect. You know? Yeah, but, which we do twice a year. Right. Mm-hmm. But they learn skills on problem-solving, teamwork, communication. Leadership. Leadership. Mm-hmm. You know, we do the DISC thing with what your personality type is and how you work with other people in your company. And you constantly want to be improving your team. I, I always equate things to football, football teams, you know. It's like you don't just sit, you get free wins and it's like, okay, we're just going to coast the rest of the season. No, you're constantly improving your team, you know. And changing that game plan every changing week. Changing the game plan. Yeah, and continue yep. to sharpen that saw and continue to figure out different ways to. to be different. Yep. So you've, you know, you're, you're alluding to this about building a brand. So, you know, your company built this incredible brand. Mm-hmm. And because of that, because you have a brand, because you're sending your people out to be qualified to build these relationships to get this continuing education. Right. You know that they're more talented now. Sure. So it changes your fee structure, right? Because yeah. you can compensate them. And, and can do better projects. And, and better, better projects. More complicated projects and. Yeah, so so is there any secret? I mean, this takes time. You know, takes everyone time. thinks this happens overnight, which no. it doesn't, and they may see stuff on social media, but don't realize all the time. That they don't realize the 20 years you've been putting into it to get to this point. Yeah, 20 years in my own company, right. 18 years, 18 before, years that. before that. And yeah. all of those stepping stones. Sure. So let's get back to that. You know, when you started, Mark, what, what, what's your background? What got you in architecture, and how did you <laughs> quickly get into starting your own thing? Okay, well, that's a long story. I'll try to keep it short. I started... 
<clears throat> I had a love for architecture from the time I was about four years old. My mom used to take us to model homes, and I would go back and draw them, build Lego models of them. And ironically, one of the things I used to build are the Lincoln Log ones. And my mm -hmm. first project with my new company was a log home. So it's funny how that all worked out. Um, so anyway, I did, took drafting in high school, had the best drafting teacher in high school, loved to draw, loved to draft, went to school, went to school in Boulder, came down to ASU, loved ASU, transferred here, fell in love, got married. This was 1980, had to get a job, had to quit school so I could pay bills, got a job with a billboard company, I designed the big, biggest billboard in the world at Anaheim Stadium. And what was funny is some of the billboard companies I worked for, uh, the owners of those companies, 20 years later, I ended up designing their personal houses. Never knew the connection until later. That's incredible. So it's funny how things can work out. So anyway, I did work for the billboard company for about eight months. Then they put a moratorium on billboards, laid me off. This was 1982. And I saw an ad in the paper for a draftsman position with one of my former professors from ASU, George Christensen. And I'm like, I've got to get this job. You know, this is what I've always wanted to do. I can figure out how to go to back, back to school later, but I just got to, I've got to get my foot in the door here. So I remember interviewing, I, <clears throat> I put my portfolio together like two nights before. I just copied stuff out of books and put stuff together. I put a whole portfolio together out of stuff. I really didn't even know what it was, you know. But my drawings were, were darn good. Uh, met with them. They said, these are great drawings, you know, tell us about this, well, blah, 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 blah. And they're like, okay, I don't know if he really understands all this stuff, but boy, he, his drawings are good. And uh, they finally, you know, finally said, look, I really need this job, and I will work for free. I, you guys just hire me, I will show up every day, I'll work really hard, and you can pay me whatever, whatever it's worth, okay? Whatever it's worth to you, I'll be happy with. And so I didn't hear from him for two weeks, Two weeks later, Diane Kleber, who I still know, still good friends with, she ultimately came working for me some day later, 20 years later. She hired me, says, Markle Sparkle, you got the job. <laughs> and she still calls me Markle Sparkle today. So I hope she's listening to this, because I love that lady to death. Um, so I got the job, started working. This was 1982. By 87, I was a partner in the firm. That's incredible. And what was funny was the guys that I was in school with at ASU, when they all got out of school, guess who their boss was? the guy they were in school with back in 82. And that didn't go over so well with some of these guys. You know, and they're like, what the heck? We're all in debt, and now we get to work for you? And so it was pretty funny how it all shook out. But it was just hard work, and, and you know. Well, it's similar. To, I mean, your story's similar to your employees, right? Uh, yeah. I'm surprised you didn't take the stance that Vivian did and just show up at work the next yeah. day, right? <laughs> I should have done that. Self-hired. Just self-hired. <laughs> yeah. Which I love that. I'm a, I'm going to have to tell Vivian that. That's a great episode. story. But um, no, but to your point, so it's hard work. And, you know, it's funny because people ask, hey, Brad, you know, I want to start my own GC company. I'm like, well, what right. experience? Have you worked for someone? And they're like, no. Well, I mean, there's a lot of value. Oh, I worked 18 to, years. Yeah, 18 years for, before I started my own company. For a firm to understand the ins and outs. And yeah. Because there's so much besides just running a company, the management oh, yeah. side, the billing, but understanding the processes sure. and so let me tell you what, what George, what, what, what happened was then by, 80, by 87, I was his partner. He said, you know, I guess I was interested in going back to get my architecture degree. And, you know, it's like all day long. You got to work on models all night. Well, you know, I, I had a child at that point, and I wasn't going to be able to do that. So I talked to him, and he goes, you know, what you should do is go get a business degree. He says, none of these guys know a damn thing about business. And why don't you do that? You can do it at night. You can do it on, you know, it wasn't online at that point, but you yeah. could do night courses. And so that's what I did. I started taking accounting 
and finance and marketing and business law. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And so when I started my own firm, I knew how to do accounting. I knew how to do the credits and the debits and a balance sheet and an income statement. You know, I knew how to do that stuff. I knew how to read a performance. So if I was working with a developer, I understand their, per their perspective of how this was supposed to work. And so many architects don't know anything about that stuff, you know. And that really helped me with my business because then I was able to set those systems up. So when Evelyn, you know, took over at the front desk, she knew how to do it. And there's so much value there. I think a lot of people don't realize that, and that's applicable to every industry. Yeah. That if you can understand, I remember when I was in college, those were my favorite classes, you know, marketing, oh, yeah. accounting, business, because it, that's all we deal with every day. Sure. It's If we don't understand the performance, if we don't understand the feasibility studies yep. and the costs involved, whether it be we're working for an investor, sure. developer, or just a client yeah. that's in their own pocketbook. Yeah. You know, and understanding the dollars that make sense and how will this home appraise. Sure. and. You know, and then if the your clients house. win, you win. Yeah, absolutely. Because if they <laughs> win, then you know there's going to be either word of mouth or future opportunity. Totally. Yep. So, you know, Mark, this has been fantastic having you on. I just, you know, someone that I really look up to here in the industry is someone I've looked up to for a long time as I've watched uh, your firm and, and, and the staple in the industry. And so for our listeners, you know, how can they find you? Um, you it's pretty easy to find me. I'm kind of, I'm kind of like, I tell people I'm like mold. I just kind of keep showing up all <laughs> over the place. Uh, we're obviously on Instagram, Facebook. Just type my name in. You'll find me. Candelary Design is there everywhere. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're pretty prevalent. We've got our podcast, Inspiring Living, which we try to put one out every Monday. Got a new one out today with Habitat for Humanity, Absolutely. which I'm a board member of. Love Habitat for Humanity. Um, and I do my blog now and then and working on a book. So I keep busy. You and by busy. the way, I did go back and I did take all my tests and I did get my license in 1992. That's so, incredible. So I was so able to do it just it. the old-fashioned the old way, yeah. So what's, uh, what's exciting uh, next for Candelaria Design? Well, we're adding a couple tours. We're adding a Napa tour in 2020. We're going to add a Paris tour in 21 and a Santa Fe photography and cooking tour oh, in wow. 21. So, so are you in photography now too? I love photography. That's one of my favorite favorite things. I mean, also. you have mentioned art. I know your your cooking side. I yep. mean, this is I don't know how you I play keep, the piano. I know you play the piano too. I don't yep. know how you keep time to do all this stuff because this takes time to yeah, develop it all those takes skills. Time. It's it's just just fun. Well, it's the Paris one I'm sure is going to be really exciting because be really Paris nice. is a beautiful city. Yep. So. Well, can't thank you enough, Mark. Really appreciate you joining us today on the AFT yep. Construction Podcast. And so one other quick thing yeah. I know I, I the one person that we didn't talk about today who I owe all of my success to is my wife, Isabel. And you know what? She, she popped into my life in um, 2010, roughly. And my life has been great up to 2010. But after she came into my life, it took off. I mean, she was basically the person who allowed my soul to come forward and, you know, believed in me, encouraged me, said, this is great, Mark. Just go for it. Do it. I had never had that until I met her. Well, there's and a genuine so, sweetness with you, too. I mean, you see that and, yeah. you know, how both of you um, uh, speak about each other and, and live life together, and it's very inspiring. Yeah, so I love that And woman. she's super talented. I mean, how is she's, that? It's great working with her. I mean, she's an yeah, interior I work with everybody, so I don't just work with Isabel. I would get that. Well, he only works with Isabel. No, I'm working with everybody. Yeah. But there's certain jobs where it's just the perfect fit, and we just have so much fun because the communication is so easy, and we just get the job done because there's no... There's no drama, you know? It's well, I'm glad you brought this up because before we close, I want to ask you, how is there any advice you give to someone that's a husband wife, you know, that are working together, whether it be design architecture or... Well, we kept our businesses separate, which I think is a smart thing. So we keep our businesses separate. She's got her own staff. I've got my own staff. And, uh, 
you know, we kind of just mentor each other. We just kind of, you know, stay out of each other's business, pardon the pun, but we help each other, you know, and it's nice. It works out really, really nice. So. Well, that's exciting. So a true success story, husband and wife yep. that are super successful in town. There's a lot to learn from you, so we can't thank you enough, Mark. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode, and we are so excited for next week, episode four of the AFT Construction Podcast. We'll be bringing on Glenwood Development out of Mesa, Arizona, as we discuss cap rates, commercial real estate investment, tenant improvements, triple net rates, and a lot of terminology that has to do with commercial construction.